Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, a haplessly hopeful homily to fellow happy clappers or negative nasty naysayer nonsense, depending on your view of the current crisis or unlucky start. Delete as appropriate. Edie's with us today and we'll try and work out once and for all whether one win in seven this season is due to easily explained circumstances or it's time to write off this management team and the season before anyone's even started planning their Halloween costume. Right, so firstly, the case for the defence. We had awful bout of COVID in pre-season. So we all know that meant uh, cancelled games and not being able to get plans and get everyone in place together. Um, late additions in arguably two of the most important positions that we needed to strengthen. They came in right at the end of the window. So obviously they haven't had the pre-season and haven't had a chance to bed in yet. We've had some VAR decisions that whilst they are right by the letter of the law, they have affected the uh, kind of flow of some of the games and, and kind of have, have come down not necessarily in our favour when, you know, they could easily not have been referred to to, to VAR at other times. Um, individual errors have caused goals that you could point to saying, well, it's unlikely that, that players of decent quality will make, will continue to make individual errors that you can't necessarily um, kind of directly coach and affect. Uh, the fixture computer hates Norwich. Uh, unbelievably tricky start in comparison to some of the other teams that have been given opportunities to at least record a win or a point earlier. Um, so therefore, there's no chance to get any confidence up. Um, and that we're still working out the best system and the best 11 because of how much change that's kind of been forced upon us by needing to upgrade the squad for this division. So, ED, how much of that are good logical reasons? And how much of it sounds like a laundry list of excuses? I think the one thing that you picked out there that I look at and think is like a pretty major factor um, is the the new additions. Um, I think chemistry is not as easy as um, it looks from the outside. Because when you get successful chemistry, as, as we saw last year, um, it just feels so effortless and perfect and everyone starts to feel like that's the normal way of being. And so anything not as good as that is is somehow like disastrous failure. But you can't, as, as the producers of every unsuccessful sitcom ever could tell you, chemistry is just a mystery and it takes time. And there have been so many additions of people with like from all over the, the, the world uh, and who also have had to run off and do international matches in COVID times and then come back with weird little hinky injuries. I don't know. It just, it's one of those things where I, I'm completely suspending my judgment until I think I'm going to give it another two months before it'll start to really indicate what direction it's heading in. I think at this time I'm, it's far too early to, think if this is a permanent direction or just a a kind of bump in the road okay well before I pick you up on how you think you might be given the opportunity to even have two months to to, to see this play out um John bringing you in on the same point really that that do you think I missed anything that they seem to be the the kind of reasons that those amongst us that are um, keeping calm and trying to keep perspective and not not getting too high not getting too low they're the kind of list of reasons why you can argue, um, you know, it's, it's no surprise that we've uh, not managed to, to pick up more than, than than beating Bournemouth's reserve eleven. I think there's a there's a couple of elements that I'd probably want to add to the the case for the defence, as you put it. Um, 
for me, losing two of your three or top three Barry Butler's um, kind of winners or, you know, kind of shortlisters is just huge. Like, you know, kind of we can't underestimate the impact that not having Oliver Skip in front of this defence has. We can't underestimate the fact that Emmy Buendia is no longer threading through balls through to Timmy Puki. And it, it dovetails into the fact that, you know, the additions need a bit of time to bed in. But actually, you know, when is it, you know, maybe this isn't necessarily the fault of Norwich, it's it's the model, but when has a team got promoted and then shedded, you know, their best two players? Because they were the standout players of the, the 2021 campaign, without a doubt for me, and and were the most difficult to replace, which has been evidenced now because, you know, we've spent big money on replacements or we've spent big money on replacements with Wendia. We've potentially committed to, to outlaying big money for... Um, for Skip's replacement, you know, should we stay in the division, which looks unlikely at the moment, but, you know, still that, you know, they need time to bed in, they need time to gel. There's also, and I I can't remember if you mentioned it or not, but there have been some positive signs. There have been some potentially decent passages of play. We have competed with Leicester. We have, you know, kind of um, only, only actually one goal um, bested us against Arsenal when actually, you know that that flicks off another player at a slightly different time, and and you know then Aubameyang is is offside. It's not all doom and gloom, but I think being in the stadium at the moment, and that's what was most striking for me. I think had I watched the match on television on Tuesday night, probably wouldn't have been in that bad a mood. But Carrow Road is a really horrible place to be at the moment because. Well, I don't know the because actually that that's quite difficult for me to to ascertain. You know, people. I just actually, I think there might be an underlying factor here that has been discussed, but we haven't mentioned so far today, and that's the experience of actually getting into the stadium. I've heard so much about mm. how the experience of entering the physical space has been downright unpleasant for fans in terms of their feelings of safety, in terms of um, just the chaos that's been around, and surely that has to be a bit of a factor in that it sets the mentality with which people enter. The game space. That's an supporters. interesting one. It, for me, my experience of getting into the Barclay, anywhere I think probably the most discontent has arisen from, hasn't been particularly bad. I, I've arrived, I arrived really early for Liverpool. That was no real issue. I, I arrived relatively late for um, for the Liverpool Cup game. And again, that was no issue. I was in within two or three minutes and, and in your seat fairly quickly. Um, I think it's something, it's, it's more underlined. There's an expectation. Look, if you go and spend whatever it was, you know, 50, 60 million quid in a summer, regardless of whether we've, you know, we've recouped 38 million pounds of that from from the sale of Emi Buendia. There is an expectation. There was, you know, people got themselves very excited with this transfer window because we'd spent big money on a striker, because we'd spent, you know, really big money on um on two wingers, you know, because we'd brought in, you know, a player with Champions League experience, because we'd brought in, you know, the defensive midfielder that that we all craved for. People had really got themselves into a lather about thinking, right, well, this is going to be it. You know, we're, we're going to stay up and it's going to be no problem. There's a different vibe. There's a different expectation of this season to probably any other season when we've gone up um, or we've been in this league, potentially with the exception of, say, that second season after we'd stayed up under Lambert. And, you know, maybe then there was a, you know, there was an expectation that, that we'd kick on. So, um, I, I don't think so, you can, I don't think you can, um, <clears throat> there's loads in there to, to unpick. Um I, I think you've already referred to us signing the replacement for Skip, um, and you know us spending big on a 
um, on a defensive midfielder. Uh, we've not signed a defensive midfielder this this window. Um, we haven't replaced Skip. You know, Nor- Norman- but we've committed to signing one. Should we stay in the division? Like we stay up, he's no, no, our no, player. No, you, you're missing my point. Norman is not a replacement for Skip. He isn't the same player. He doesn't. He he's not a defensive midfielder. Like he plays at the base of the midfield. Yep, that's where he stands. That's where he starts when it's kickoff. He's he's got he's such a different profile to Skip. Exactly what I was worried about when we signed him, and then you looked at you know, the profile that we that we were reading up on him. Then I saw him in that Norway game and thought, mm, he's not making many tackles um, and he looks brilliant on the ball. Very, very forward thinking. He, I think we've just signed another Farker midfielder. Um, I he, think we've he, signed a player that, that likes to, you know, kind of ding the balls in the channel and we've signed two pacey wingers. So I think we've we've maybe tried to, and this it's about this evolution of style. Is it going to stick? And, you know, and I said on the last pod, I think we need to revert to four two three one because you know we'll get the best out of Pookie that way, and actually, it's defensively that's the only way that Farkas ever seemed to be able to find a relatively stable lineup. I think we're going to have to pivot to that again, and I and I think all the indications actually, I think Norman's numbers seem to suggest that he really does like a tackle, but actually maybe he's not defensively minded as much as a, a skip or a Teddy or, or whatever it might be, but he's closer to a skip than he is. A Teddy, you know, he's not just a stopper that's going to be really positionally aware and and snuff it out. So, you know, Kenny's going to have to do some hard yards, or Lucas Rupp is going to have to do some hard yards, or Lungi Sorensen is going to have to do some hard yards. Whoever it might be, but genuinely, I think we've got to go to two in front of that defence or a different way because otherwise, how do we protect them? Because they're they're short of confidence, they're devoid of confidence at the moment, and the fact that they're not taking ownership of situations like we saw on. On Saturday against Watford, with you know hapless defending for for at least two of those three goals, and you could probably argue all three is a real real worry at the moment. And sorry, we I know we were talking about the case for the defence, and we've now gone on the offensive. But um, well, no, we haven't because it, it is relevant. Because the, the the point is, you um, I think it's it, we are now discussing the case for the defence. One of which is well, that really really important CDM we had to wait until right at the end of the window for him. I think Norman is a fantastic signing. I'm over the moon that he's playing for Norwich this season. That clip round the corner to Pukki is one of the main reasons, which I was going to come on to in a little while, which is not so much the case for the defence, but reasons to be positive. You know, the, the things that we could, we will list in a minute of bright spots so far. That might be the best of all of them. The, the ease with which he flicked that round the corner and the ease with which Pukki hit that first time and scored shows that we and I know I know it wasn't against Liverpool it wasn't against City but the point was almost all Premier League defenses will concede to a pass that's played first time with such accuracy the wrong side of a defender um, and then a ball that's hit first time so the defender doesn't have a chance to get across and the keeper doesn't get a chance to set himself you know that 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 if we create that opportunity that goes in against most of the the, the defenders and and goalkeepers of of the Premier League division so i am in no way negative around um norman the the human the player really delighted we've got him but the one thing he is not is anything like the skill set that that skip is i know i mean he may well be a, have a better ceiling at some of the things that skip isn't good at 100% he certainly looks better on the ball in terms of playing forward than skip did skip was more of a give it to someone else and they do it kind of player um, but whilst he might like a tackle in some of the stats, none of the ones I saw, by the way, um, everything I saw profile-wise before we leading up to the signing was about actually this is someone who plays through the lines. Um, w- what we didn't sign was someone whose raison d'etre is to 
be a stopper. And that's what we need. We need to protect someone whose first thought is I'm not going to go unless I'm a hundred percent confident that, that my boys behind me are covered because, because I can't risk it because it's, it's on me to, to, to make sure that the, the space in front of these lads is protected. Now, having said that, one of the, um, one of the things that I'll also pick up, you just said about individual errors. I, I can't help, but feel that, um, we've already seen the same goal conceded three times. Um, the ball coming from in front of our left back position, um, where yes, the heading is woeful. The picking up is woeful in the box, but, but, but three times someone has had the freedom of Norfolk to look up, to take a couple of touches and pick the pass with any angle they want into the box. Um, which then makes the job of the defenders that much harder to defend. And I can't see personally how we can, how, how you can separate individual error in that situation and coaching because um, Brandon Williams is a, is a young player and I, and I, you know, I know he can play both fullback roles and maybe left back is, would be his second choice out of the two. Um, but, you know, he needed help. There were three of them in the Watford game. There were three Norwich players all backing off then the uh, number 21, I think it was, couldn't remember his name, who whipped a fantastic ball in. But he will whip a fantastic ball in because he's a Premier League winger or midfielder who if you give them that much time, if you give cleverly the amount of time he had to ping some of his diagonals about, that for me, that is about how bad we seem to be at pressing um, and, and forcing players to go back backwards or, or inside instead of allowing them to cross the ball into our box, especially if we know we're rubbish at defending crosses at the moment, as we appear to be. All the more, you would have thought, would have been focusing on it. And there was a comment um, but after the Leicester game where that exact goal happened again, um, crossing in from um, or, or space down the channel on our left-hand side, being allowed to cut, cut the corner, and it was both Gibson and um, Williams at fault on that, uh, that goal. Um, where uh, where he said, "Oh no, we I tell the players to do that, but you know they they have to execute it on the pitch." Well, well no, because that isn't that isn't a, an excuse. It is your job not only to tell them what to do; it's also your job to make sure that takes place on the on the pitch. So, just slightly um, sort of tweaking, Ed. The thing I want to move on to is is um, there was something that happened in the um, on the, in the Tuesday night game, the Liverpool game. And it's interesting you say. John, if you'd watched it on telly, you might not have been as negative. I spent the, the day with Michael Bailey yesterday and he watched um, the game back um, on telly after being at the game. Um, and he said he felt a lot less negative about it, um, watching it kind of in a sterile environment. I don't know how sterile Michael Bailey's house is, but you know what I mean? Watching it without the, the negativity of, of, of Cara Road around it, which is interesting. But, um, but yeah, one thing I wanted to pick up, Edie, so this is all this thing. Um, whilst in isolation, I don't agree with digging players out. I, I don't think he takes enough responsibility for himself for for, for problems on on the pitch. I, I've always not thought that Farker does that. Um, it's just not something I like in a manager. It's just you know we'll 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 never agree on it. Um, but is it actually a a, a, a signal of a, a wider malaise, which is that individual errors that keep happening from players who we know are better than that? So Hanley doesn't leave his man. Un, unattended he he's fantastic in the air so why is why is he allowing these situations to happen um, and likewise players like Brandon Williams apparently he's been told to close people down why is he not doing it um and players like Zolis apparently he knows that he's not the penalty taker why is he taking it so do, do you think he it's reading too much into it that 
that there's a there's a squad of players who don't seem to be listening to or executing Farker's message? I think it would be absolutely fine to read all of that into it. Just like the the penalty taking, that that was just the weirdest. Have you ever sort of I don't know? It just it just seemed very unusual. And I, I think it definitely does sort of suggest that what you've got is a sudden influx of multiple people who aren't part of this dog pack. And um, then what's happening is you've got the leader of the dog pack who isn't exactly putting himself between the dog pack and the threat. He sort of, like you said, is taking one step aside and sort of going, yeah, that, that pooch over there, what, what, what a clown. Um, and it's just, I think that combination does seem to suggest there is perhaps more to be done in terms of fostering this idea that there is um, a team and there is a leader of a team who takes accountability for what happens to that team. No matter who does whatever stupidity, the leader says, this is my this is my thing. Because um, it might well be that you disagree with something that part of your team has done, but you it's a choice whether or not you talk about it afterwards. So it, it definitely suggests that there's something kind of whipping around there. And I think when we had the kind of, and this is just me inferring um, when the last relegation happened, there was a lot of Cantwell behaviour that made me sort of think there was a bit of sort of whipping around there or thrashing around and that actually that had been really nicely dealt with uh, and he'd been supported and pushed a little bit and he came out of it like just twice as mature and a fully formed uh, like a sportsman as opposed to uh, a young man who was playing football. And I think what's happened here is that there seems to be so many extra characters involved that it might be a lot harder to do that simultaneously. But also... I don't know if if you come to play for Norwich and if you're new and if raw dinosaur adventures in the Waffle House isn't like your bag, then it might be a lot harder to to settle down into that that way of things. And I think previous players have been the raw dinosaur adventure kind of guys, and they're the ones that seem to have kicked in nice and smoothly. Whereas this sort of new gang, I I don't know. Can you see Norman down the Waffle House? Yeah, well, yeah, no, well, well, I can see Norman at the Waffle House. Yeah, I'm not sure if I can see him at Dinosaur Raw Adventure. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a fantastic analogy, which, which you know, I must say to my eternal shame, I'd never actually thought about it in those terms, but now you've made it. I, I will now always think, are they a raw dinosaur person or are they not? Um, John, <laughs> what do you recommend? You're, you're kind of chief Fark, Fark a defender and, and an apologist. And what I, what I would say on, on that list of the, of the defence is, I just don't think any of it, I think all of it is fair in the first four games. The, I think the reason that the atmosphere is so poisonous um, at the end of the Watford game and kind of since, and then we just didn't see enough on Tuesday really to make us think that, you know, whilst there were some bright sparks, that there was also the caveat of, yeah, but we're playing a bunch of teenagers and, um, and this, and they, they, you know, yes, we could have taken chances that that game could have been ended kind of two, two or, or three, three really on, on chances created. Um but but really, other than if he kind of snatched chances, we didn't see enough on on Tuesday to suggest that that he's got a handle on turning it round. And I and I, 
I, do you, I think do it's you a think com- that's the barometer, though? Yeah, do you I do. Think, I like, do. do you think a reserve team against a reserve team or, you know, a reserve team against a third team is the barometer as to whether Daniel Farker's kind of got a handle well, on turning well, that's this the round? Other problem. That's the I other problem. I don't think that's fair. Has, but that's the honest. other problem he has because he's not really had a settled 11. And again, you could argue that because of there's different circumstances for that. So you, again, mm-hmm. you could argue that that's not that's against him. It, that We didn't really view Tuesday as a, as a reserve team because I'm about Medelli, you know, practically everyone in there has, has, has started at least one game, right? So you know, it's not like it's not like we were playing people who were miles away from the starting starting eleven. Whilst and um, you know, hundred percent up front, we would Pookie is, is, is his first choice, and Sergeant wasn't there. Um, Zolis has started a game and, and played really well. Ede is probably the only one you could argue who's genuinely. Um, every pretty much everyone knows that he's not first or even one A or sort of 1B choice to, to play in the position. And Gunn, yeah, okay, he's, he's goalkeepers doesn't have that much effect on what happens outfield. So take them away. And defence-wise, they're all people we've seen and, and we expect to see again. Rupp has started games. Um, do you see where I'm coming from? So it's, it, I that, do, it's, it's but not, I just it's not think like it was a bunch of reserves. That, it's the, it's, it's not like it was a bunch of reserves, them. but it was, it was certainly, it resembled a second choice 11 and one that I wouldn't, so for Everton, I wouldn't expect like eight of those players to start. So I think if we talk about Farker trying to work out, you know, his his optimum eleven, and that you know there will be a little bit of horses for courses over this season, but you know that was nowhere near it. You know, you look at Angus Gunn, Ballymumba, Adamida, as you've said, you know, kind of even the, the you know kind of Dale coming off the bench, you know, even it kind of stretched the squad to an extent, and the players that you'd you know kind of the first names on the team sheet, with the exception of Probably Hanley. Was there that many of them there? No, I don't think so. And that's why I think it's an unfair barometer. But to go back to your your Jolis comments, um, look, overall, like cards on the table, something smells a bit iffy at the moment. But I think people make or have made an awful lot of the, the Jolis comments when actually I've looked at all the quotes. I've watched most of the interviews. Actually, there's a lot of context around it about him praising Jollis about how saying how purposeful he was in the game about you know saying that actually this is a young man that needs to learn a lesson and I'm going to make sure he he learns it and fucking hell he was right like there's no this clear insubordination so he needs to stamp on that now it's all very well saying don't dig out a young player okay he's got previous for it he's dug out Ida he before he's dug out Cantwell and Buendia to tremendous effect last season so I would trust Farker to know, Lewis, especially with young players, when the right time to dig an individual out is. So I would hope that he's got enough of a handle on Jollis's character to understand when that might be yet. But but the mitigation around that is something feels off at the moment. So whilst I think he's right in microcosm with Jollis, and I think it was fine to call that out, and he was directly asked about it by every outlet because it was really obvious that Jollis wasn't the penalty taker, there is still something, there's just an undertone of this season so far that doesn't feel quite right. And yeah. I can't put my finger on that. And I don't think anyone can put their finger on that yet because there is a lot of mitigation. There is a lot of, we need time to gel. There is a lot of, we've got new players. There is a lot of, actually, Daniel Farker starts slowly in every single football season that he's had for this football club thus far. So, you know, is he just going to find the formula? And is this, is his period of, of or is the slow start even slower because of the complete lack of pre-season and the COVID disruption and all of those kinds of things. There's there's so much 
to you know condensed into one package which just means this is this picture is way more complex than he's lost the dressing room or they're not listening to him or you know kind of there's a tactical issue it's all of those rolled into one but perhaps none of those as well you know this is a really difficult picture Farker has been here before the only difference for me is that the crowd has started to turn and that's what could get toxic quite quickly and you know I but mean, we without, talked about this before though mate but it, i think with digging without digging people out that actually we're in a situation whereby we've got parts of the local media that are actively champion at the bit to get at farker we've got parts of fan media that are actively champion at the bit to get out far. Well, they're not champions, they, they're just doing it. <clears throat> well, they, yeah, they've been, but they have been waiting for this day for some time, but they will dress it up. They won't say, I want Daniel Farker sacked, but they, they do really. And they've been absolutely biding their time. And it doesn't help because actually this guy, to my probably doesn't need two months if, if um, you know, we continue in this vein of form. I think he's probably got about three or four games, but actually I'd much rather we get behind him, fully get behind him for those three or four games and just let him implement his style, let him implement what he wants to do. And actually, it would be so Norwich to go and win on Saturday. It's just the kind of thing that we'd do. Yeah, but so but we talked about this at the, um, at the end of last season and in, into the start of the, the following one. Uh, he would have been sacked at the end of last season if fans were in. Um, there's, there's no way a, a manager... Um, but I don't think there's any way that it happens with fans in. I don't think that the complete downing tools, we haven't down tools at the moment. They down tools Project Restart. Quite possibly. For me. Quite possibly. And, and, I don't and think it would have happened. And that's, again, you know, that's the context around that, isn't it? I, oh, I agree with you. You can't a, lose 10 consecutive games. It's a hypothetical, games. but yeah, same, same results um, with, with fans. There's no way he survives. And it just, and, you know, if anything, that just goes to show. It's an interesting thing, and we'll come on to listen to questions in a minute because we got we were inundated. I mean, we've never had as many as requests and suggestions and comments and things on a questions thread. And I'm only going to pick about five. I had to mute my phone. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was it was it was mad, but um, effective, which is great. And effectively, this is there's there's no one with a Norwich, there's no one without a take at the moment. You know, this isn't you know this isn't some of the things that it's not a period of the season that's quiet. This this is a period of the season, a period of being a Norwich fan where. It almost feels a, a bit polarizing, and, and there's a, there's one question in particular whether or not you're going to pick it out or not. We'll we'll talk about it in, in a bit about that, but maybe this is maybe it's a prime example that um, we were right to stick with Daniel at the end of last season because he went and won the league, and um, so yes, you could argue well, yeah, but with fans in, maybe we we 100 probably still would have gone down, but we we might have won two or three or won one 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 and drawn four of, of the ones where we lost by one goal or two goals, what have you. And so therefore, you know, he probably would have kept his job. But anyway, point is um we are not, as a fan base typically, the majority at least, are not a decide on people quickly um kind of fan base. The the, the problem is it, it's it looks there are so many telltale signs of what Project Collapse was, sorry, Project Restart was at the end of last Premier League season. I think that's the it's the unnerving fact that we seem to not have got any better. Now, just to be completely clear before we move on to listening questions, which is what we'll do in, in a sec, um, I, as, as I've said on social, if anyone um, cares to waste their time following me, I'm not uh, in the Farker out camp and I'm a good few games away from thinking that's even a sensible discussion to have because it doesn't help the team. Um, I am exactly the same in lockstep with you, punt. There's something going on. 
up Colney Neal. There's something not quite <laughs> right. This squad has not gelled. There is not the team spirit. You've only got to look at the way they celebrate the goals, the lack of interaction with the bench compared to other seasons when we scored goals. There doesn't seem to be the camaraderie yet. Now, again, fantastic um, excuses or reasons, whichever way you want to put it, as to why that's the case with a, with a shortened preseason that hasn't worked as well as, as we wanted it to. Um, however, there is something not quite right. And, and winning a game against Everton or a good performance against Everton and then a win at Burnley or a, a two draws, whatever, basically something to hang our hat on in the next two games. All of a sudden we come back to Brighton with something to, you know, Brighton at home, which is the next home game. We come back with something that we feel, you know, we can be really confident about. We can feel like, um, you know, there, there, there's something there and, and that might, they can build team spirit and camaraderie off the back of that perhaps. But yeah, it feels like there's, there's a, there's a sort of slight gap between the, the the togetherness of the club that we want and what is actually there on the pitch. I wonder if quite a few of our new signings have got the mentality that this is this is. I don't know. So many of them have talked about their ambition when it comes to British football and the Premier League and all of that. That it, it does seem like quite a few of them, and the penalty incident points towards this. That actually everyone's eyes of the, all these new people. It's it's not actually on the team and the team's success. It's on individual achievement and progression. So. That, that does sort of come across to me as, as a factor there. Right, let's, let's get into these questions then, John, because we've got loads. Let's start off with Duncan Edwards. And he asks, and this is the one that probably provoked most discussion, I would suggest, on social media. As a fan base, are we mentally weaker than previous generations or is it just the nature of social media that makes it seem this way? And he then references um, 2004, 2005, where we didn't win any of our opening 13 ma- matches. And I don't remember this level of fan surrender. And I think, so there's, there's, I'll kind of kick off on this one. I think there's two fronts to this. One, we drew a lot of games. So I remember, I think even before we'd won a game, I went to the Hawthorns and we kind of ground out a nil-nil. And there was the opening day draw against Crystal Palace where Huckabee scored and we took the lead. There was... There was a lot of signs that actually there was still a bit, you know, there's still plenty to be positive about and we weren't that far away. Um, I think there's signs this season that that might be the case as well. So I don't know. I, th- th- I think it comes back to, as we were talking about earlier, the expectation levels are different. We've we've been promoted umpteen times. We've seen some fairly abject failures and we've seen some, you know, some fights where we've we've come close, but consistently... Um, you know, we've we've seen not a lot of investment in the squad and then, you know, kind of us, you know, Norwich kind of meekly going down. We've invested in the squad this season. Um, and although we've lost, as I said before, you know, two of our, our best players, I think there was a real expectation that we'd, we'd kick on and, and we'd be way more competitive this season. And, and nearly everyone was saying that, you know, before a ball was kicked. So I think that's the main difference for me. Tom, what are you saying? Well, I think it's... Uh, it is... The, the polarizing element of, of what social media is like, and we, we currently live in a really binary age. 
and I, and I think we're seeing that you um all oh, it's a topic right I need to be fark in or fark out there can't be a gray area there can't be an in between there can't be a well there's 20 mitigating factors I think 10 of them are, are actually you know genuinely something that can be used as an, as an excuse or a reason and 10 of them actually I think no there's no excuse for that that's bad management or that's that's bad um, recruitment or whatever um, so the, the, I think there is a, point, a good point there that we are encouraged to be either outraged or um, stands. You know, we're either absolutely furious or we're over the moon. Like, the, the, you know, grey area written on social media doesn't exist. So, yes, I think some of that is true. The, the thing about the, the, the green shoots it is is worth touching on, and I want to I want to just kind of again reiterate what I said before. Um, Pookie's goal was fantastic. The fact that we've won a couple of penalties already this season is positive. Um, because actually we have dribbled with the ball. We've got players who are willing to put their head down and bomb into the box more readily than, you know, yeah, Aaron's who likes to stand the ball up at the back post. And, you know, Aaron's is fantastic going forward, fullback, but he's not really a head down. I'm going to dribble through you once I get to that final third. Williams is that player. Janoulis is that player. Um, brilliant sort of assisted dive for the for, for the penalty. Um, you've got, um, you know, Rashica who looks every bit like a um <clears throat> like a Premier League player. Jolis, who looks every bit like a Premier League player who probably just needs to be on the pitch all the time because it feels like maybe this is a season before he's a complete the complete article. I feel like we've maybe got him slightly early, um, which is probably why we've got him and not someone else. Um but if you play him for enough minutes, he's gonna produce you enough moments of magic over the course of a season. And um, so th- there are definitely some green shoots there. The the thing I think no one can the thing that I think no one can countenance, no one can put up with, is just how pathetic the goals are that we're conceding. I mean, they are just Sunday League level pathetic goals that the some of the people that we are watching be jumped over and dominated in this way and just leaving people in acres of space in the six yard box. We've literally just see have player of the season level performances. So I messaged a uh, um, a, a kind of former professional footballer um, kind of contact of the podcast to say, ask that specific question. You know, I asked him, Hanley, he is a fantastic central defender and I thought he was brilliant in the first Liverpool game. I thought he was outstanding, did really, really well. He was so unlucky to to, to have that first goal, you know, because he basically assumed the wrong thing that Salah wasn't going to muck it up. Um, how does a player who has been playing at such a high level go from that to letting you know basically giving people the freedom of Norfolk in the six yard box to nod not in a header it's only a Riga he's not you know it's not Firmino one of their good players um and the answer I got back was confidence you know and that, this is not them personally saying they've spoken to Grant and he said it's confidence but it, the point he was making was and this is somebody who's been in the game a long time but um it doesn't take long to lose confidence and it can take quite a long time to build it so when you've when you've been on the end of a few tonkings and when it doesn't look or you know defeats in a row even if they're not thrashings and the outlook is bleak then you may maybe your decision making is impaired by the fact that you're not that confident you aren't going to win the header and actually you do maybe are slightly more on the back foot or you do forget your training and your positioning because actually you you're not playing with that innate confidence of you know you'll never beat the hand and you'll knock everything away um, and it's strange to think of someone who is as dominant and as kind of uh, fearsome uh, as as Grant Hanley having an issue with confidence of any of any any position. It doesn't mean he's meek and mild and crying into his half time orange, but it isn't surprising really that um, 
the, actually the, the one thing as silly as it sounds i honestly think the, the the those first four fixtures of all of the lists of of reasons and i and i think more so than covid interruptions i really think having to face that gauntlet they were worried about they will have been worried about it even if they only were so privately and they did they were and talk of that was banned at colney beforehand we were all worried about it. They must have been worried about it. The prospect of starting the season, uh, playing for a month and still having nothing to show for it, must have been on their minds. Um, and that's probably more so for a defend- defender than a, than a striker because you're the end where the goal's going in. And I honestly think that we didn't get at least one layup in the first month where we thought, well, at least that's a good place we can throw everything in. Maybe the Watford game, we have that bit more resilience. <clears throat> and after the, after it goes 2-1, we're a little bit more, you know, we're going at them a little bit more um, than we did do because actually it was a case of, oh, here we go again, as opposed to if it's only the second game we're playing them or it's only the third game we're playing them, maybe we've still got just that bit more residual confidence from winning the league last year. I don't know. It's it's a hypothetical, but it, I, I um, yeah, I've meandered on a lot there. But it, well, I think yeah. I think we did go on though. I think in the Watford game, actually, it's something that, we're, that we haven't really dug into it and review the game properly. But at 2-1, Farker makes substitutions. We do revert to 4-2-3-1. Todd starts to play in the 10. The The formation feels a little bit more fluid. I thought we started to play football. We had to, to take gambles to, you know, to make sure that we had um, overloads in areas and we were able to create opportunities. And Jollis got to, gets down the flank. Brilliant cutback. And, you know, Rashid said, probably should do better with the chance but we'd started to push we'd started to look like the side that was more likely to to score the next goal and then unfortunately you know as it comes back to what we were talking about complete defensive fragility because it was just you know piss poor defending and um, we shouldn't have been undone like that we should have you know really recouped possession fairly quickly turned it over and then been back up the other end of the pitch but a confident Norwich probably do that a confident Norwich as you say don't make those mistakes because we talked about it, didn't we, after the game about, um, you know, Farker, should he, you know, kind of coach these mistakes out of people? And, and I was kind of contending that I don't think you can coach people not to make these individual errors. But what I think you can do is probably give them the psychological base to feel confident enough and to have the desire and the mindset that they're not going to make them because, you know, they they feel that, you know, they're they're able to perform to the the best of their abilities. And I think that's that's really where Farker's man management is going to come under close scrutiny over the next weeks and months is his ability to pick these players up and his ability to to put them out on Saturday and then you know kind of over the next few weeks as well in in a some kind of psychological form that means that they can perform to somewhere near um you know the levels that we need to to start picking up points that's that's the challenge Right, so let's have Matthew McGregor up next. And he asks, if the problems have been caused by a weakening of the no dickheads policy, which of the new players is, in the panel's opinion, most likely to be a bit of a dickhead? Well, I mean, Kent, you already completely accurately <laughs> answered this one. Um, I, I think I think the... Um... I think Norman does does look like he could be a dickhead, but I, I, in a way that I find really endearing. So I, mean, I, I love the guy. I want him to be playing all the time. I think I think he looks like the sort of player that I really enjoy, where he, he always wants to do the clever thing. Um, whether or not that's what you want in the position he plays is another matter. Um, I also think that potentially um, Jollis might be very, very headstrong. 
you know, so there is an element that maybe he doesn't fit the mould in terms of, like Edie was saying earlier, um, having that uh, selfish desire to be, um, to kind of get to the top of the game as quickly as possible, doesn't care who he steps on to get there, maybe. Um, but I mean, we're, we're talking a really small sample size. I don't think there's a lot at the moment that that you can really point to and say that we think someone's a a bad person or a bad culture. What what does definitely seem to be the the, the, the issue at the moment is that I can't see much evidence on a game day at the moment of of that really really good togetherness, that good team culture, and, and it might you know it doesn't it doesn't help that they're losing. No, it doesn't. To go back to um... Who might be, you know, kind of one of the dickheads in the squad? I I don't think we can look past Brandon Williams for for one particular reason. <laughs> he's um he's a Manchester United player yeah. by trade, and it's it's essentially it's in their DNA to um to be a dickhead. Let's have the next listener question, and this is from at um, Farker Phil on Twitter. He's asked it's a two pronged question: which of the squad? Has most surprised you with a level of underperformance so far this season? And on a happier note, you must wrestle a pig to decide the fate of the fair city. Which of the team do you nominate as your champion? Well, Krull's got quite long arms. Maybe one of the keepers. No, I, I don't know. It's um, uh, I, I would still go with Tim Krull for, for the pig. I, I think for he's got pig such wrestling. Long arms. Yeah, I think he's got such long arms. I'm I'm going to go for um, Jollis because I just think he looks built but little. That could be quite the quite the skilled pick. From the underperformance side of things, um, at the moment I am um, I'm, I, there isn't an individual, and I don't want to dig anyone out individually because I can see why, we, with the possible exception of of PLM, who looks really tidy, but to me really does seem like just another one of a couple of midfielders we've already got. Um, I don't. I can see why we signed everyone we signed. You know, Kabak has made some. You know, on his very very limited minutes so far, Kabak looked like a very very good centre back at times. Um, Rashica is really really fast. He's got a good delivery of the ball um, and does dribbling. Jollis, I have seen him score goals against Bournemouth. I have seen him. You know, you know I was there for that game and I've seen him play uh, and look good in spells. Um, Sergeant, I thought he looked terrific against what I mean. In fact, I think he's looked really good. He probably is at the moment looks like the best buy in terms of how much he's given us for how little he's actually played, um, which hopefully will change over the coming coming. That doesn't mean not playing Pookie. I loved having them both on the pitch at the same time. So you know, I, I can see why we signed everyone, um, with the possible exception of PM. So no one's disappointed me in terms of impact. I think maybe it is just the fact that we have. The, the disappointment is cumulative. It is disappointing that to have, in theory, upgraded several of our squad members, um, because as I say, you can see why we've made each of the signings. The sum of the parts to not be in to not apparently control more of the game or create more, you know, uh, clear cut chances. That is probably the the underperformance. It, it is it's the fact that cumulatively all of these various kind of percentage marginal gains doesn't seem to have affected the sum of the parts. Right, let's have one more question. I'm going to try and pick a good one. <laughs> let's finish with Paul, Paul Buller or Paul Buller. Um, on the face of it, we've only lost one game we expected slash hoped to. What's everyone's problem? Tom, discuss. Well, going back to what I said before, the, the, it is the, the the fact that we can see 
so many of the same feeble problems that caused us to go down last time. Um, and then that is therefore that much more annoying because we finally spent some money. I also think the wider, bo- wider Norwich bother coming up narrative is was way more prevalent this time around than last time because people didn't recognise that whilst we've spent way more money than we ever have, let's have it right, the vast majority of the people we've signed, fans of almost every other club and loads of fans of our club would say who, and they would they would definitely would not know who, the, who most of them are. Um, Gilmore maybe being the exception. Quebec, I, I didn't remember he played for Liverpool because I'd properly tuned out of, of that part of the season. I was watching... Norwich games through you know my dogged determination to still be a Norwich fan despite it being awful at the end of Project Collapse but I wanted nothing to do with match of the day those last 10, 10 games or whatever um, you know we haven't signed big names or anything we haven't signed them from big clubs or you know clubs who would go and get relegated from the Bundesliga isn't going to you know shift units and clicks so I think with that in mind, um, that narrative being so prevalent before the season is another reason why people just thought, come on, give us something in this first kind of draft to stick two fingers up at all of the people who have been taking the piss out of us saying, you know, what is the point of you? You might as well let someone else come up who's going to give it a go. Because we, we, we've we literally, all we've done is proven everyone right for this first kind of month and a half. All we've done is go, yeah, you're right. We are, you know, we are the 21st to 26th best team in the country. We're not the 20th to 20. We're not the 18th to 26th best. We're, we're the 21st best team in the country. And, and we're all just desperate for them to give us something to believe that actually no, we, we, we are we we can make a fist of it. I think that's that's the disappointment. Nice. I like that. I don't think I can add to that. Tom, that's all the questions. Yeah, well thank you so much for for so many people sending us questions and being engaged on on, on it. I th- I think most of our most of our kind of listenership and the, the, our friends who listen to us um, whenever we prattle on, I think mostly judging by the timeline and, and, and what, what I see I think we're mostly in the same boat, which is that we do not want to call time on on Daniel Farker. We don't. We certainly are not the Farker out brigade. Um, but we're also maybe a little bit more unsettled and being a little bit more tested in our faith than we would like to be. And that list of the offence that we wheeled out, we would probably all feel just a bit more comfortable if we believed a few of them a bit more strongly. Um, you know, I will be... Uh, the first to hold my hands up and say, as I think I, I did kind of say, my head to saying at the start of the season that we could easily be, you know, zero points at the end of the first four games. We've got two really, really big opportunities um, to uh, set up defensively with three at the back at the next two away games and see if we can get something from the game. We've also got a really good opportunity um, with with Brighton at home and Leeds at home, who are both very proficient, established you know Premier League teams in comparison to where we are at, and with comparatively, especially with Leeds, more settled sides than what we've got. However, they are good opportunities for us. So, what we need from the team, I think, is to give us something to believe on, believe in at the start of that Brighton game, to keep the the, the atmosphere not toxic. Because if it's two bad defeats, I think it could be Farker out chance, and you don't know what you're doing at Brighton, to be honest. Um, and then likewise, give us something to believe in these next couple of games. Give us something to feel that we're going to get something from the Brighton games and we can save ourselves for the Leeds game as well. 
and and it really could look very 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 different by Halloween. It really could because we could have those two home wins that we want, and we could nick a, a point from one of the three games, of which two of them are two of the places that we won with that awful relegation squad we won at Everton. Like yeah, they've strengthened in places, but they were still a good team when we beat them there last time. So I'm still feeling hopeful, and I still think there's enough that we can we can you can hang your hat on that we have greater chances. We have been in games. There has been, we have scored. You know, we're not on a duck still. Um, Pookie looks like he's, you know, he's closer to the Pookie that, that we had in terms of fitness and, and distance from injury, the, the last injury he had. So let's keep positive as much as we can while there's still things to, to be positive about. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed, heading into that Brighton game, we've done something impressive in, in these away games. Enjoy it however you can follow it on Saturday. And mind, there you go.